Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of DNF. That is the foremost F1 podcast. That is what F1 stands for, foremost for us, one for the only podcast that you should listen to or watch. Thank you for joining us on YouTube or for listening if you're hearing this on the podcast provider of your choice. I am Spencer Hall. Uh, subbing in for Jessica Smetana this week is, I would like to say, a cosmetic diversity hire because <laughs> in order to balance everything you're seeing right here, we brought on the one and only Chris Whittingham. These lads, they're fancy. Hello, Chris. How are we doing? It is uh, a pleasure to be here. I have uh, I've not actually done a, a full length thing on Formula One before, so I'm fired up to actually uh, get into longer thoughts than just sneaking in beyond Jessica on the show and, and saying, "Hey, I I know things too. I know things." So I know stuff. I know stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're an EPL fan, so like you're already this close. As an EPL fan, you are already so close to having a dalliance, at least, if not a long term relationship with f1 uh just for the people's sake when did you come on board how did you come on board who are your people what do you got so i, I came on board probably towards the beginning of last season and I, as as with all of the frauds i i, I watched the the form the, the netflix show on formula one and now i i watched i think i've watched every race so far this year start to finish except for the one in melbourne it was like 1 30 in the morning and i i, I had to drop out at some point uh and i'm still undecided on who my people are and, and who my teams are. I, I was leaning towards Ferrari, but I've grown immensely frustrated with them over the course mm. of this season, as we'll get to. It is a it is a, a, a win for Charles Leclerc and the Austrian Grand Prix today, but Carlos Sainz engines engine goes boom and it's just mm -hmm. so it would, i feel like it would be so immensely frustrating to be a fan of this team so uh still an agnostic as yet which is was actually mentioned that the, the premier league that was kind of my experience with the premier league i was kind of an agnostic for a while uh before finally deciding on a team yeah and, and who did you decide on because i'm going to predict you i'm going to predict your f1 team mm. but who you picked in the epl Manchester City. Okay, so you're just gonna be whoever's in first. So it's right now. It's it's Red Bull. You're a Red Bull guy. No, I, I, there's something about. I mean, Max Verstappen. I do appreciate that he uh, kind of dispenses with trying to seem like a normal person. That he's just in a ferociously competitive, doesn't give a crap at all, uh, is going to stick his elbows out and win a race. I can kind of appreciate that, but there is something that leaves me cold about uh, rooting for Red Bull. So uh, right now, I do have a, probably a little bit of emotional connection to Ferrari, but I haven't yet committed because I don't know if I want to sign up for this <laughs> for, for the foreseeable future. You're, you're making a long-term decision here. I have to take in more data and more information. Yes, this is also, again, why you're going to be a superb F1 fan. You're going, I need more data, but ultimately... <laughs> Ultimately, you'll probably just decide by color. You'll just be like, I don't know, red's cool. I'll yeah, take I mean, that. I, if, if Ferrari is any indication, I'll be on plan E in short order. It plan <laughs> it's funny. It's funny to me, by the way, yes, just to provide actual information here and confirm, yes, Ferrari did win. I know that we all enjoy making fun of Ferrari. I know that even on their best days, Toro Rosso is capable of running straight through the back wall of the barn and into the meadow off off leash just just running toward the sunset uh <laughs> under no command whatsoever because we did have one of F one of ferrari's cars go out we had a scary incident with carlos signs um he had some sort of power failure went off track the car caught fire i i don't know if you saw that but the car not only caught fire but was rolling backwards and in true F1 safety marshal, okay, the, the marshals do a lot, and they're underpaid, and uh, they, they don't really, I don't think they get enough support from F1 themselves and never really have. However, when you see a marshal heading towards a burning car, and they have a fire extinguisher, first of all, not a big fire extinguisher. <laughs> I mean, like the one you have under your kitchen sink. Yes. He taking that, putting it down, and then running away. I mean, maybe that was his job was just to bring them up. It's still not a great visual when you see a guy go, oh, yeah, here, maybe you'll need that. Bye. Whoop. Just just takes off. And, and, it, and it seemed like as well to stop the car that they grabbed the nearest hardcover book to put behind the front right tire so that it would stop. It seemed like they were incapable of first stopping it from rolling down the hill. And as you said, we're incredibly inadequate with the 
fire extinguishing situation and we're late to get there as well carlos Sainz is still in the car because he doesn't want to leave the thing rolling down the hill he's still in the car as it catches fire and you see the damage afterwards and you know martin brundle and david croft on commentary basically saying this thing went boom this thing completely exploded and Mm -hmm. they're going to be fortunate to pick out any parts of the car from that wreckage that they can uh play with going forward they're probably going to have power unit issues uh heading into subsequent races that'll probably cost them places on the grid so uh, that that was not a pleasant situation uh, for Carlos Sainz. And uh, as you said, a completely inadequate response from Formula One. Thankfully, thankfully, yet again, for a second straight week, everyone's okay. Yeah, patterns holding here, by the way. Carlos Sainz, a, uh, I would say, snake-bitten driver from the perspective of luck this year and extending into most of his career one way or another. Carlos Sainz winning last week and yet coming up short again this week just coming back to earth that seems to be his mo we should probably should have expected something this random and unfortunate uh additionally it's his fourth dnf of the year four four we're on i believe race 12 at this point and he has dnf'd in a third of them at this point i am flabbergasted at his bad luck and yet not surprised at this point also it is peak ferrari to go into a race and do something like hey we're gonna win what happened to the other guy oh about that yeah they didn't have (laughs) they they had neither of them finished they are the mirror image of a team like mercedes i know red bull finished second in this one and verstappen was disappointed by the way it's a great sign of luxury when you can finish second and call it a disappointment in F1, uh, the model of consistency, somehow Mercedes, somehow Mercedes. We ended up with Mercedes finishing in the, both cars in the top five uh, and George Russell ending up after uh, having an unfortunate incident with uh, Checo Perez uh, on the first lap. He ends up finishing top five. George Russell, the, the best lad, the good lad, somehow ending up finishing top five every week i don't know if he's everything mercedes expected at this point but given the car and how bad the car is at one point russell came on the radio and said this car is so slow why is this car so slow (laughs) yeah as it was going 195 miles an hour in a straight but Mm -hmm, you're right i think it's impossible to judge George Russell off of this season other than he continues to put in incredibly consistent performances. But was he this weekend the best lad? Because on on Saturday draws the attention of the stewards for walking towards the pits uh, rather than uh, walking around the track. And then today completely takes out Checo Perez. I think Red Bull have every right to be frustrated. And I feel like a five-second time penalty is fairly insufficient for clearing out one of your opponents. But does he still maintain his title as best lad? I can't believe that you would insult the finest lad of all, Chris Whittingham. <laughs> On this edition of Lad Report, we are again for the 12th week in a row going to award best lad to our lad, George Russell. Oh, yeah, defending the Scepter Isle single handedly. Never mind Lewis Hamilton. Never mind Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> No, the best lad is George Russell again. Look at him struggling out there. Look at him. They were going to give him a five-second penalty. I can't believe they've constructed the very rules of this sport to cheat our lad, George Russell. So again, yes, our beautiful, doe-eyed, porcelain doll of a boy, George Russell, the lad of the week. Thank you for this edition of Lad Report, something I definitely just didn't make up on the spot. Yeah, he was actually pretty... He, he was actually pretty nasty this whole race and had his elbows out. Don't think he's entirely nice. <laughs> and uh, yet again, another top five finish. It's Mr. Consistency. The, the races that he finishes, uh, that he's finished have gone as so. Four, five, three, five, four, three, five, three, four, four, four. And uh, that's that's what he does every weekend. You can It's death taxes and George Russell in the top five. Yeah, yeah. But this was a race that I think, uh, you know, we want to say that, yes, it was, it was you know, Mr. Consistency. Yes, these these were expected results. This was a race that I think the entertainment was one through 10. If I had to give somebody like, okay, well, what do you watch when the same people are going to win every week? Well, what you watch is the jockeying for position up and down the track combined with random elements like, yes, Checo spinning out and, and DNFing, or you combine them with something like, Uh, Ferrari's power plant randomly exploding or you combine them with the kind of back and forth racing at one point there was this tangle for sixth 
that uh, involved, you know, no fewer than three, possibly four different drivers all jockeying for the same spot. That's really what you're watching week to week when you want to get to that. This included a number of guys starting from the back of the track who had moments of sheer drama in the sport. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda not quite giving space to old boy Fernando Alonso, who joins me in the 40-plus club. Uh, so, of course, we are always... Yes! He pulled up the Dikembe on him! He got the Dikembe. He's like, not having that. Don't force me onto the grass, Yuki. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Tried to force Alonso onto the grass and, like a Dale Earnhardt acolyte himself, decided to not just <laughs> not crash, but to race through the grass and take one hand off the wheel of his sainted multi-million dollar racing machine <laughs> and waggle it at the youngster. Uh, it's that kind of drama for, like, you know, the 13th spot that I I absolutely adore in this uh, race. By the way, heck of a finish for Alonso, starting all the way at the back of the pack and fighting his way up. I am, uh, I am ecstatic for him as well. Shout it was, a, it, it was a race from the pit lane uh, between him and Terry Botas uh, to yeah. to potentially get that last point from. 20th or uh from uh what is it plum last that, that crofty like to say uh they, they they finish from or they start from the pit and go all the way into the top 10 and it's uh alonzo in the end who gets that point i feel like he would rather have sacrificed two places in his in his finish the points that he would have taken just to be able to wag a finger at someone that was a classic fernando alonzo moment yes and also a also a classic uh valtteri baltas moment in that uh for Alpha Romeo, his idea of success is like, okay, let's just get some points and coming down to the last lap after starting on pit lane and narrowly missing it to uh, someone who I also wanted to see get points in Fernando Alonso. We're missing, by the way, the most crucial storyline of all, okay? Step up, Haas gang. That's right. America's <laughs> only F1 team, okay? The only F1 principal I know has been cited at the Nordstrom in Charlotte, North Carolina, shopping with his wife, okay? <laughs> For fine discount clothing. Haas finishing in, not only in the points, in the points twice. That is correct. Twice. Put some respect on Mick Schumacher's name because he finished sixth and battled with, among others, luminaries of the sport like Lewis Hamilton and uh, K-Mag, Kevin Magnuson, who, after hanging his teammate absolutely to dry oh, in the sprint God. yesterday, just, just zero cooperative behavior whatsoever from K-Mag, finishes in eighth. So if that's a little bit of gentle karma for him, I mean, it might be all I care about Gunther Steiner. Gets the luxury of tasting points twice this week. Y'all, you look like legends. It was incredible for Haas. I, I read that it's their second best uh, points tally in Formula 1, the 14 they got this weekend. Uh, their best uh, since Austria in 2019, I believe. But their second best of all time with the 6th and the 8th place finish. And you mentioned how Kevin Magnussen was a truly terrible teammate. I don't think I've been as mad about anything watching for I mean I guess besides <laughs> I guess besides for Ferrari's incompetence at watching the sprint race on Saturday and watching Kevin mm -hmm. Magnussen very clearly he's not going to catch Esteban Ocon in 6th. He's not going to catch him. And so instead of just kind of keeping his pace so that Mick Schumacher can keep his DRS to to fend off Lewis Hamilton, he goes, gets about two seconds worth of distance, and leaves Mick Schumacher for dead so that Lewis Hamilton can overtake him and cost Haas a point. And as you said, the karma is perfect so that Mick Schumacher today proves that he probably had the quicker car all along and was able uh, to get into sixth, which is his best ever finish in Formula One. And after at times this year, it felt like, man, is Haas going to move on from Mick Schumacher? I know he's obviously got the mm -hmm. pedigree and the name in this sport, but kept putting in the wall, kept costing Haas money that they don't have. Uh, yeah. And he's now able to pull off two top 10 finishes, get into the points, and Haas are going to quickly climb, uh, climb up the constructors if they keep putting in races like this. They're probably right now, you probably have, you know, Ferrari, Red Bull, the top two, Mercedes the, uh, on a tier on their own, and then you get into the area where it's Alpine and probably Haas. Haas right now would appear to have the fifth quickest car, which is absolutely stunning. Yeah, and trending upward it was kind of amazing to hear lewis hamilton on the radio live during the race say the straight line speed of the haas machines was astonishing to him <laughs> that and then that's on, on, on saturday after after the sprint race he does a uh, an interview with sky and he's like 
Haas are quicker than us. And you can hear the resignation in his voice at how mm-hmm. far Mercedes have fallen in 10 months' time that he is saying into an open microphone that is being broadcast on English television, Haas are quicker than us. Mm-hmm. What has happened? In in football terms, this would be the Browns are whipping our ass. That's that's what that is. Like I can't The Lions much, have a high-flying offense. I can't believe how strong the Dolphins are. That's really... I can't believe how consistent and excellent they are at every position. Tua's absolutely lacing it. That's what we're hearing here uh, when you talk about somebody complimenting Haas like that. I would also state, by the way, while we're throwing accolades on Schumacher, driver of the day, baby! Driver of the day. Official F1 driver of the day, Mick Schumacher. I was kind of stunned by that. I feel like Leclerc had a lot to do there. You can you can make a lot of arguments for a lot of people to be driver of the day, but I guess for, for Mick Schumacher to, to go up three places within the top 10, had to do a lot of fighting, as you mentioned. That midfield fight to get mm-hmm. into the points was exceptional at times. They're going five wide at certain turns. Lando Norris is trying to get in there. Everyone was trying to get in there, but in the end, it was Mick Schumacher who emerges in sixth. What a finish from him and what was probably the most difficult part of the race. We didn't see probably enough of it just because of how interesting the fight at the top was and we had uh, several other big incidents but the Leclerc Verstappen took so much of the oxygen that we didn't really properly see how much Mick Schumacher was fighting uh, to get into that sixth position but what a race from him and probably deserved and hopefully it's a turning point for him in Formula One so that he can kick on and kind of be a, a mainstay because it didn't always seem certain at, at, at points of this season. I want to go back to your point about Leclerc having to struggle. We say that Ferrari had on balance a good day. Yes, they did lose one car. They did get a win. Okay. They did go ahead and maintain uh, their standing in the constructors championship and in the overall driving standings to review those, by the way, Ferrari sitting at 303 in spot two, uh, Red Bull 50, not 359 points. So we have a 56 point gap. Uh, more than competitive, still a close race as we're here in what is the halfway spot. Mercedes down there in the three spot at 237. And then there's the also rans once you get to uh, McLaren Mercedes in fourth with 81. So there's a substantial gap. The race for fourth also includes Alpine tied at 81. And then you have Alfa Romeo at 51 and Haas uh, Ferrari at 34. Um, and just to finish those out, by the way, Alphatari with 27 points in eighth, eighth place, Aston Martin with 18 points in ninth, and then with three very significant points, Williams Mercedes all the way down <laughs> at the bottom. Uh, I understand, by the way, the comments. Hello, thank you for joining us. We're now just naming the greatest people named Mick. Chris Whittingham, have you got a top two or top three Mick just off the top of your head? I mean, well, the, the open goal is Mick Jagger, mm-hmm. but yes. beyond that, I can't think of too many Micks, to be fair. I'm going to go Mick Fleetwood. Mick okay. Fleetwood, the drummer for Fleetwood Mac. I'm going to go him. Mick Huber, legendary announcer for... <laughs> he just uh, retired, didn't Gators. he? <laughs> he did. He did. Give him uh, Give him his proper laurels. He did just he, retire. He, 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 was, he was my first exposure to uh, SEC radio football commentators. Uh, he, like we, we Down here in Miami, we get the, the Florida Gators on the radio. And I'd hear him say, boy. And then like the, for, for me, it's the, the, uh, the analyst who mm-hmm. just sounds so and it's like where did you pull this guy from he's very clearly not like a legend of the florida gators program he's oh. just a guy that was hanging around the booth he was for a while it was jack youngblood who mm-hmm. you may remember jack yeah, youngblood is a hall of famer who played uh, a super bowl on a broken leg but yes yes by by far if you are talking about color men uh, college football has the most, <clears throat> I would say, amateur color men <laughs> uh, on the whole. You know, like in F1, there are these wonderfully analytical guys who, you know, will occasionally throw out, you know, nice Britishisms while they're describing, you know, <laughs> like my favorite is when, you know, two guys don't really don't really sort of want to fight. Right. And they go off and they're like, ah, it's handbags at noon. You know, that's like they'll throw <laughs> off things like that. Whereas a lot of the time football announcers are just just, you know, making South yeah. Park cast member noises <laughs> into the microphone. Um, I'm also going to go with famous mix Mick Foley. Mick Ooh, Foley good is shout. It, yes, absolutely. Uh, and then, ah, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of one more Mick to get for you here. Mm. Oh, Mick Hucknall. Mick Hucknall, the, the, the lead singer of uh, Simply Red. There. There we go. That's the only... I'm out of a mix, y'all. So if you haven't... If you've hit another one, please... 
go ahead, hit us up in the comments. Also, by the way, if you're in the comments and you would like to say anything to us in the form of a question, great. If you have them in terms of comments, particularly on my personal appearance, you can go ahead and do that too. It doesn't hurt me. <laughs> It's fine. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I presume that there's probably a few widow's peak jokes in the comments already for people that maybe may, may not be familiar with me. So there, there, there is always jokes to be had at our expense. Yes, you can give us pushback because our hairlines are doing the same. All right, so just join in the fun. <laughs> um, a, a few other notes on this race that I thought were absolutely fascinating. Uh, one, the track itself, Austria, it's a good place for, it's a great place, I think, for bunch ups. I, for some reason, under the current package, this had a number of spots where traffic just managed to uh, create competition, which, which I enjoy. We've had a couple of races this year where the safety car had to bail people, bail the race out, where the safety car bailed the race out, bunch people up. This seemed to be a place where that happened naturally. You had pullaways, you had different groups of racers, but on the whole, we did get competitive racing out of this track. So good on you, Austria, the track. Bad on you, Austria, the fans, because the fans were evidently dicks. Uh, to the yeah. point where, to the point where, before the race even started, you had both announcers on the crew saying, "Yes, we've had a couple of bad eggs here, but on the whole, the fans are behaving beautifully." Which for them is like a complete admonishment of of the supporters. They're never going to fully have a go at Formula One fans, but for them, that's a, that, that's as much as saying, "Stop being assholes." Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think you always know. By the way, you could correlate the more road flares are being set off in the crowd, the worse <laughs> the crowd is going to be in terms of harassment and overall manners, all right? And there was nothing but orange smoke. So I have my suspects as to whose fans were being the nastiest. This comes in after the sprint where uh, you had fans cheering, tires being blown, crashes. You had, you know, as long as it favored, uh, I believe, as long as it favored Verstappen, right? Yeah. Uh, when Lewis went into the wall, you had people who were applauding, which, by the way, don't ever do that until you see the driver get out, okay? Yeah. There. Well, well I mean, you, you yeah. should. You, you can stop it. Don't ever do that. Yeah, but don't ever do that. But if, if you're you going that, to, yeah. <laughs> make sure the driver is still alive. Yeah. If, yeah. If it checks out with the, I guess, very online Max Verstappen fans. I don't mean to impugn all Max Verstappen fans, but yes. if you go based off of their online presence, how vigorously they defend their hero, Max Verstappen, uh, that it, it does check out, but it's just a bummer for anyone to like feel like if they go to a Formula One race that they're going to be subject to harassment because they're wearing a Mercedes shirt. It's just, it's shitty. Yes. Be more like English fans who throw us. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Be more like English fans. <laughs> Who just, yeah. you know, yell at George Russell to fetch a soccer ball that went over the fence for them. <laughs> the yeah, ball, seem... George! The ball! The ball! The ball! <laughs> He's just waving. Uh, it, it's, it, yeah, like, the, the English fans, like, it, for, for once, seemed like they were just there to have fun. It seemed like at the Red Bull ring, they're just there to completely have a go at everyone else who's not uh, firing off orange flares. Yeah, uh, we have a couple of questions from the comments regarding the race. Who has the better hair? Yeah, the race. Who has the better hair, Carlos Sainz <laughs> or Witty? You know what? I'm going to say this depends on context. All right. Uh, thank you, Mike White, for the question. I think if you consider how Carlos Sainz's hair looks when it's been under a helmet for hours at a stretch and he takes it off, I'm just going to say natural appearance, Carlos Sainz. Yeah. I think as an everyday choice, I think it's really hard to question the dedication to form uh, and function that Witty has. So I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and say it depends is my answer. I, yeah, I think Carlos Sainz has a lot less work to do on his hair. I feel like he wakes up in the morning and his hair looks like that. So that that is very much not the case for me. As you mentioned, I, I do have a routine. I don't feel I can answer this question objectively. Is this the Mike White who's the backup quarterback for the Jets? I hope so. <laughs> A.K.A. White Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and go to our next question, which I think is a really good F1 question, by mm. the way, like an actual technical question. Why are the stewards so strict with track limits at this track as opposed to other tracks well it felt like they were being incredible sticklers this weekend and i feel like th this this is a theory admittedly not one backed by fact but uh mm -hmm. when you saw earlier this year the the fights over you know lewis hamilton's jewelry and they're at times fighting over the underwear that, that the drivers are wearing it just feels like this has all been a reaction to 
what happened last year in the final race of the year where Michael Massey, uh, Michael Massey essentially made up the rules, which is if we're going to have a bunch of rules, then we need to enforce all of them. And if, you know, someone goes slightly over the line, we're going to be sticklers about it just because we are not going to be seen to enforcing all of the rules. So that if there is ever a moment in which there is a gray area, we follow the rules. That seems to have been the, the motif from the FIA in Formula One this year is they are going to be incredible sticklers about things. They're, they're going to annoy their drivers because when they show any bit of give or any bit of judgment call, they've been criticized for it. So instead of just allowing judges to have, uh, you know, taken all the facts and absorb information and then make a decision. It's like, nope, this is what it says on the paper and we're going to enforce that. Yeah, and, and I think more specifically, I think that's all correct. I think more specifically with Austria, there is turn 10. Turn 10 is the final turn leading into the straight, heading back to the start finish line at this track. Turn 10, it would be a very, very good place if one were... I don't know, let's say an exceedingly competitive and combative Dutch driver whose dad was also a driver. It'd be a very good spot to cut a corner when your car isn't as good as Ferrari's. I think that's really, if, if you want to go to it, it's track, it's turn 10. Now turn 10 ahead of the race was emphasized, was mentioned as a particular point of emphasis because this is one thing the track marshals will do. They'll say, okay, here's what we're looking for. Here's the place where we're going to be tighter. Track 10 or turn 10 on the track was highlighted. If you're going to be that tough on 10, all right, and it's not like Austria is a huge track where you have a whole lot of runoff anyway. So you might want to be watching track limits uh, irrespective of 10. But when you include 10, you know what's going to happen. What do F1 drivers do? They go, well, you, you called me for 10. Well, what happened back on six? What happened back on four, right? You know, they mm -hmm. will get on the radio and say that, okay? Particularly, I don't know, a certain unnamed Dutch driver who, whenever he gets passed, loves to get on the radio and immediately start whining about it. That, <laughs> that, okay? And no, by the way, all credit to that unnamed Dutch driver. He's amazing. But one of the things that makes him amazing is that he's competitive at every turn, and that includes working the officials. If you're going to be that much of a stickler about turn 10, you're going to have to be that much of a stickler about everything. So I think that um, that and the fact that there were a number of spots in this track where people just seemed to be bunching up and traffic was coming together, I think that's what led race marshals to be such sticklers about track limits at this track in particular. And because F1's completely inconsistent, we might hear nothing about <laughs> it in the next couple of races. Well, and Martin Brundle was also talking about blind spots going into turns, that by the nature of the new cars, the, the tires are bigger, the front wing extends further, and so you're not able to see the lines. And so yeah. th there is that yeah. element of as well. But you mentioned an unnamed Dutch driver. There's an unnamed Mercedes driver who anytime he got flagged for this was, mm -hmm. was, was getting on the radio as well. The unnamed Mercedes driver also likes to have a go at any small infringements that come his way or any movement that happens beyond him that he's not in favor of. Uh, the, the unnamed Mercedes driver likes, not, not to what about here, uh, but the unnamed Mercedes mm -hmm. driver does, doesn't mind having a go when these sorts of things happen to him as well. Yeah, you know what? You know who doesn't do that? That's right. <laughs> That's right. The I'm just saying, lad. the best lad does not complain about that. No, he uh, part, instead part of being a good lad is not complaining. Yeah, he complains about his car. That's all. <laughs> why? Why are we so slow? But not about the rules. Never about the rules. Um, our next question: Best guess of how Martin Brundle lost his voice? Orange smoke. Orange <laughs> smoke. That's it. You know what? Since I started going to soccer games where the flares go off, I don't understand mm -hmm. how people do this every every game or in, in those big settings. It's incredibly mm -hmm. unpleasant. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I think it's that orange smoke in the flares that have gone off. Also, if, if you're on the circuit, if you're on the F1 circuit where you're, mm -hmm. you're going everywhere, I feel like they all know the best restaurants. They all know how to have a good night out and have a good glass of wine. I feel like every once in a while, those guys get after it. Um, I can confirm. Yes, they do. They, they, they're very, very, very knowledgeable about exactly how to get at to it at multiple price points, by the way, because one could spend quite a bit of money following F1 around the world. And uh, they know both the budget and the non-budgetary ways to do that if you're into the high <laughs> life. Um, I will also state that uh, when it comes to orange smoke, the rest of the world still loyal to the healthy noble cigarette. 
okay? Unlike in a way that Americans have turned away from, much to the detriment of our weight lines and our yes. bloated life expectancy, right? We used to be <laughs> able to amass as much money as we needed to survive the rest of our lives, and now we can't. We simply live a little bit too long, okay? The rest of the world, they've conditioned their lungs for this, so lighting <laughs> off a flare with a cigarette in hand is really no mean task to them. They can just do it. That, that is the thing that is most startling about watching the first two seasons of Love Island is uh, how much cigarette smoking there is. And even <laughs> and even anytime you go to Europe, uh, there, it's just there's it's so much more common. Are we the only country in the world that is uh, a, that has adjusted our cigarette smoking? Probably. Right. I think we're pretty much the league leaders in that. And having seen what happened to us, the rest of the world is just continuing to fire them up. Just like, <laughs> yeah, that's not worth it. <laughs> Have we, have we has, has the character of our country changed as a result of decline in cigarette smoking? I'm listen. I'm I have an economist brain, kind of. I'm never going to tell you the good without telling you the bad at the same time. <laughs> and I'm just saying, longer life expectancy, yes, but you live longer, and that's also a problem. Okay, and without the calming influence of cigarettes that coats your lungs and mm. makes road flares just like so much easier to inhale directly. Doug, uh, you have another question for us. That is, if you could have Martin Brundle do a Gridwalk style interview at any non-F1 event, what would it be? A Brundle Gridwalk before the State of the Union would be great, to be honest. Man, this is this is an unbelievable question. I've been trying to, to rack my brain. Uh, I guess... In some ways, the red carpet before the Oscars is a gridwalk, but I would kind of like for someone who has Martin Brundle's level of expertise about things beyond the movies uh, to just walk down the red carpet of the Oscars and start as asking random questions that are being fed in his earpiece that he has mm -hmm. no recognition about, like about either dresses or movies or television shows, and he's just doing a gridwalk completely uninformed going down the row of the Oscars. I was going to do a wedding, Ooh. just a wedding, any wedding, just walking through and going to be like, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Best Man, Mr. <laughs> Best Man, how are we feeling? Quite hungover, yes? You are the mother of the groom this morning. It appears mm -hmm. to be an extraordinary morning for you. Yes, yes, yes. You, you don't want this to happen, do you? No, no, you're <laughs> trying to stop the wedding right now. Okay, it's good. Good chat with the mother-in-law. <laughs> we also have name one thing that makes Verstappen smile other than winning. I think it's probably the moment in a, in a wildlife documentary when a very small, adorable baby animal is devoured by a large predator. <laughs> I think that probably makes, like, just makes his heart grow three or four sizes. Oh, I mean, those those scenes are horrifying. If you, if you can enjoy that, you are truly a psychopath. Uh, I I was going to say uh, there's that video that went around of uh, of him watching that Formula One impersonator that does an impression of him, and he seemed to smile at his own personality being reflected back at him through the means of an impersonator. So I feel like Max Verstappen probably likes him some Max Verstappen. I love that. I I think also when we talk about this race, by the way, um, one thing that we did not mention, just just randomly, a thing that made me smile that was somewhat at the cost of other adorable things. Esteban Ocon. Esteban hmm. Ocon. Before before we let this go over, okay, uh, Esteban Ocon managed to not only get up in the top 10, but finished fifth in the Alpine. All right, so so yes, we, we send our flowers to the Haas gang because we are loyal, but shouts out to Esteban Ocon. Can I offer my thoughts on Esteban Ocon, which is that I have no Please. thoughts on Esteban Ocon. I feel terrible about that, but the, there is a television show that is designed to get me to care about every single Formula One driver. I feel like mm -hmm. I have thoughts about every single Formula One driver. I got nothing on Esteban Ocon. Is he like the nothing. most is is he the most anonymous member of the grid? Did I skip the Drive to Survive episode where I learned about his personality? Because I feel like I know nothing about him. I guarantee you you didn't skip it and you still have no response. So <laughs> just not gonna be your thing, man. Yes. Also, he's his name is Steve. So like it's just very hard to be feel passionate about a Steve. <laughs> Steve you know? Steve Ocon is a much different driver than Esteban Ocon. By the way, speaking of uh where drivers finished, uh Daniel Ricardo in the points. Do you know this, Spencer? For only the third time this season. He finished sixth in Australia, finished eighth in Azerbaijan, finishes ninth today. He has amassed a grand total of 14 points in this Formula One season. I'm telling you, the pod the podcast world's gonna it's gonna so much better over here. Danny, just get behind the mic, <laughs> okay? Get on them Twitters, get your socials right, 
just you know at the end of it go ahead do your little i know you have to do a tour of the nascar truck series or whatever go do that do the draymond thing just start the podcast right after the mm. race because that's that's where you're headed man that is yeah. where daniel he's Carter gonna be a media star do you think he'll he'll be like the first american media formula one star that like espn will actually put some coverage into it and danny rick is the face of it yes yes absolutely right and people will be like yeah he was an f1 driver he was incredible and i'll be like well yes yes at one point he was pretty incredible and then he went to mclaren and it just kind of all fell apart well, it, from there it, it fell apart at renault but is there yeah is there not like could he like if he drove in the seat that is now occupied by checo perez because he like he, he seems to have like a he doesn't like the McLaren car for whatever reason. It doesn't drive like yeah. cars that he's used to. If he was in Checo's seat, would he perform about as well, do you think? No. No. Hmm. And I only say this because I don't... I, I think Sergio Perez is the best driver in F1 if I just had to put anyone in any car. Any car. I just think yeah. like Sergio Perez is just the kind of guy who... And I base that on the fact that he is the most brilliant defensive driver. Which to me says that even when he doesn't have the car, he's going to make life very difficult for you. So like if I had the universal racing pick and I had to pick somebody for rally F1 NASCAR Grand, uh, Grand Prix, you know, GP uh, Rolex uh, IndyCar, whatever Sergio Perez wouldn't be a bad pick. That's why I just don't think he's, I don't think he's as good a driver. Absolutely. As Daniel Ricardo. And by the way, I say that with all due respect because Daniel Ricardo is like in the top 1% of 1% of 1% of drivers in the world. I thought you were going to say if you stuck him in any car in formula one, uh, like which like which driver like basically yeah th th this would be a great thought experiment like who would be the driver that would get the most out of a Williams and I like do you think the answer to that is Checo I mean we have one answer we have a very good Whoa. answer for that yeah might, which, might have to get the music fired up again yes because I think the best lad <laughs> the best lad himself proved that uh, that yes despite whatever was going to happen okay that you were going to end up with a quality performance from the best lad but i also think that that when you look at what perez does week in and week out right like to me he is that dude who is the best driver without winning all the time like that that is he's an astonishing driver no matter what he's in so i think that's a good pick i think russell's a good pick i think you'd have to be a moron to to not at least mention say okay yeah verstappen and hamilton but like at this point and i think you've seen this with lewis that if they are, they have been in the best car so long that it's in their heads that they know when things are off, and it sometimes affects them. I think to a greater degree than it would a driver who's like, "Yeah, I'm used to a shitbox." Well, isn't just that put me in the car? <laughs> isn't that the issue with Mercedes now? Is that even like, and this comes from the top down? They've got a pretty decent car, but then yeah. Toto Wolf leaves the sprint racing. We don't feel like we have enough out of this car. And they go and finish third and fourth. Everyone there is yeah. such high standards that they can't handle the car. I mean, I'm sure like if other Formula One drivers, like if Joe, you know, got in the Mercedes car, be like, wow, this car is great. But because those guys get used to the finer things in life, like I don't think that, as you said, Max and Lewis would probably fare very well in a Williams. They'd probably be like, what the hell is this thing? Well, yeah, what am I doing? They'd be irate as opposed to we. I get to drive an F1 car. Don't yeah. mention what kind. Don't don't worry about what kind. We just get to give you this car. Uh, yeah, this is this is always one of my favorite like sandbox questions, which is, you know, hey, if you just put these guys in a go-kart, right? If we just had these guys on the top gear track, right? And we just took them in the reasonably priced car, uh, what would they do? You could go look that up, okay? They're real good in the crap car. Okay. Yeah. But we're if we're if we're picking like which guy's just going to be best doing meatball surgery with a crap car? I, I, it's very hard for me not to pick Sergio Perez. And yet he's had such a weird run of races since he won in Monaco. Montreal yeah. was all over the place in qualifying and then in mm -hmm. the race as well. Even in finishing second in the British Grand Prix, you know, started from towards the back of the grid or had the yeah. issue in the opening turn, had to fight his way all the way back. We talk about the bad luck of Carlos Sainz, but... Checo's luck has not always been perfect, and he always seems to make more of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and a dude who is has done everything, by the way, like I think maybe better in that second spot. Like if you want to talk about how to build a race team when you're only working with two drivers, you're going to need one dude who could run interference. You need one guy who is pretty comfortable in that. And, you know, he's not always happy about it, but Checo performs that role admirably all right um shouts out to Valtteri Bottas who who kind of did that for a while and then you know very much did not 
uh, towards the end. Next question we've got, uh, what percentage of Max's reputation boils down to the Jan Moss isn't being rude, he's just being Dutch seen from Ted Lasso, a.k.a. <laughs> uh, a general stereotype of the national character of the Dutch. I would say like a good 30% of it. 70% of it is Max. The other 30% is we're just blunt. We just happen to be very <laughs> blunt people. Also, you know, he is a child of privilege. You know, don't expect him to be the kind of person who's going to shrink back from saying what he needs to say because he needs the gig. He needs the job. I No, I don't think he's going to do that. He probably knows that there's not a whole lot of cost to him being particularly caustic in his remarks or attitude towards anyone. Anything. Really. Anything. And yeah. I, I was talking with uh, producer Doug before the show, and we were kind of saying that, I mean, maybe Max Verstappen without a world title would have been a lot more upset at how today transpired. It's a home race. The track is called the Red Bull Ring. It seemed, mm -hmm. I thought, at, you know, entering the weekend and after the sprint race that Max Verstappen was going to win this race by 20 seconds. I sort of always feel that Max Verstappen is going to win every race by 20 seconds. And in some ways, Ferrari being so good today only frustrates me more that they haven't been mm -hmm. able to get more out of this car when they have an incredibly competitive car, perhaps the best car on the grid if they can get out of their own way. But I think Verstappen has probably mellowed a little bit. I don't think the guy that has been the cantankerous complainer on the radio all the time. It doesn't seem like he's having any fun, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, he gets to drive a Formula One car for a yeah. living. Uh, I think that that guy has mellowed a little bit this year. I have found Max generally more enjoyable and a more likable character this year. Yeah. So, yeah, you're never going to make him not Dutch. But I do, right. think win I do think winning has gone ahead and mellowed that a little bit. You know, he still has a natural uh, bloodborne love for speed skating and waffles. Like that's just, <laughs> that's, did I just call him Belgian? I did. But I there's a reason for that. You can go look it up. We also have which F1 racer could sing along to Leonard Skinner. That's easy. That's easy. It's Ricardo. Stand oh, I was yeah. I was gonna go for Kevin Magnuson. I don't know if I'm doing a Haas thing, <laughs> but, but for whatever reason, I can really envision Kevin Magnuson letting it rip in a truck and, and belting away some Leonard Skinner. <laughs> I will also put Yuki Sonoda up there just because I saw him drive a swamp buggy in Florida and he's real good at it. So <laughs> I just think baseline, there's something about him that's really good at it. We have not, by the way, gone over our driver standings. Let like heaven forfend that we not mm. read a chart out to you on air, but. But to give you an idea of where everyone stands at this point in the year, yes, the number one driver is Charles Leclerc uh, with 25 points, Verstappen with 19, Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton sitting there quietly in third, just still figuring things out. Hey, I'll give you a guess as to who's in fourth, and the first two guesses don't count if I give you three. Who's in fourth? Who's in fourth? Uh, George Russell? That is correct. The best lad is ah, in fourth. Ah, the best lad. The best lad is in fourth, Esteban. <laughs> Uh, Esteban, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I am actually reading. This is the, like, if you want to know what working with me is like, I'm reading the standings as of. As of today. the last race? Yes, yes. I'm on the <laughs> wrong tab. Aha, here we go. Max Verstappen with 208. Charles Leclerc in second place with 170. Sergio Perez sitting there with 151 in third place. Uh, still a very tight spot among the top three. And Carlos Sainz right there. So for all of our controversy, by the way, it's still a Red Bull and Ferrari race going one, two, three, four, alternating the top four spots. Uh, George Russell in fifth because he is the best lad. Lewis Hamilton in sixth with 109. Lando Norris down there with 64. And then uh, I'm only going to mention this uh, in 20th place, Nicholas Latifi, who had to retire today uh, for Williams Mer. Sadie's. Shouts out to Joe Guan Yu, by the way, sitting there with five points in his rookie campaign. Got Actually got some points, so good on you, Joe. Yeah, I feel like uh, Valtteri Bottas has fallen off a little bit, and I know he started from the back of the grid today, and that's a bit unfair to, to judge that on today, but I, I feel like at the beginning of the season, there was such a gulf between Bottas and Guan Yu that you figured, all right, you know... It, it's going to take a while for the rookie to get used to it, but they very quickly become fairly even in results this season. So you're right. Fair, fair play to the rookie. Yes. By the way, Balta sitting in ninth place with 46 points total. Uh, yeah, but Alf is interesting, though, because like they do they fall in your mind, by the way, into like, hey, you guys got a car out there. Good job. <laughs> you did well. They weren't that way earlier this season, but now it, I feel I feel like was it was it in Azerbaijan that they were pretty competitive and into the top ten and competing. But the last few races, I feel like they've had a, a, a shocker, and Pierre Gasly in particular, uh, getting into that incident in the sprint race 
And then today always felt like he was towards the back of the race. Yeah, Alpha Tauri has fallen off, I would say, as the season has gone on. Yeah, uh, I, I just think they're they're probably like going to finish up and go like, okay, hey, everybody's safe. Which a legitimate concern after Joe Guan Yu, by the way, also shouts out to him for getting out having uh, and getting back out on the track after a terrifying crash last week at Silverstone. So um, coming up on the schedule, looking at the race, we have France. France, in two weeks, we're going to take a week off from DNF before coming back for the French Grand Prix, one of the most scenic and yet not necessarily terrifying, in, terrifyingly interesting tracks. But who knows? With this new race package, we may have some surprises. We may end up with something past qualifying in terms of drama. I mean, after all, Ferrari's on the track. So who, <laughs> who can say what's going to happen? Uh, do you have uh, any other final thoughts on today's Austrian GP or F1 in general? Guest host, Chris Whittingham. Yeah, I, I do want to pick up a little bit on, on, on Ferrari being mm -hmm. that level of interesting. They have to be the best contender that week to week you just cannot rely upon. I actually thought that today with Leclerc, they handled everything perfectly. And actually, mm -hmm. overall, they got their strategy right. And we should hallmark and celebrate whenever they get their strategy right because it is such a rare occurrence. But they pitted Leclerc when the virtual safety car came out. Well done for pitting him there. He won the race. Now, just kind of white-knuckling it down the end when you know he's telling over, over the radio, hey, I, I think I think my, my throttle's not working very well. I don't know why I just did the, the phone thing. I was like, yeah. as if he actually jumped on a phone. But uh, yeah, so I, th I think Ferrari got, uh, Ferrari got it right today, but it's still so inconsistent from them that in some ways today really highlights for me how much they've gotten this season wrong because if they can beat Verstappen at the Red Bull ring, then this car could have won any race. And he should have mm -hmm. won at Silverstone. He should have won in Monaco. And mm -hmm. if you think of the points tally and the fact that this is his first podium since Melbourne, it's it got, went seven races for him off the podium. It's astounding how much Ferrari have screwed this up this season. I know that it's harsh to say that after they've won back-to-back -back weeks uh, with Sainz and Leclerc, but I just can't believe how much they've gotten it wrong. 50 points worth of wrong, by the yeah. way. Because, again, the constructor standings, it is 359 to 303 at the halfway mark. They have squandered a fortune. I think that can that can be said, though. Early on, remember, the knock was, uh, we, we've also, like, had this thing where we've traded roles. Early on, it was Red Bull who was unreliable and was having mechanical issues and was having technical problems that were keeping them from finishing races, knocking people out. Sergio Perez, who, by the way, honorary member of the Ferrari team for the luck he's had this year. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that you see that these teams have been mirror images of each other. They've just switched roles over the course of the season. Ferrari is the most sort of brilliantly talented and yet ultimately inconsistent presence right now that could change. We could change. It is very weird, by the way, that in terms of performance and in terms of finish at their own disappointing level, the most consistent team overall has been Mercedes. Like, yeah. like that Mercedes, that Mercedes has just been, hey, we're the third place team right now. We're going to keep being that third place team. That may be where they top out, but with, you know, with a whole half of season of racing to come, we'll see. It's definitely between Red Bull and Ferrari at this point. Ferrari, if you just say, could you be half as dysfunctional? If you could be half as dysfunctional, <laughs> you're going to walk away with this thing. They have the best car, I think. And yeah. I, I, I just, I wouldn't have said that entering this weekend. And like every weekend, I feel like Max Verstappen is going to win the race by 20 seconds. And then watching the sprint race, watching Leclerc make ground on him when it felt like, you know, Verstappen was well clear after Leclerc and Sainz fought for, for second for some reason. Again, why are they fighting? Uh, and then mm -hmm. today... When Verstappen, you know, starts well, gets off to the lead, it just feels like, all right, he's going to cruise him here. Uh, I think he picked up like a two-second lead in the first few laps, and then Leclerc quickly makes it up, eventually gets in a DRS range, and very clearly was the better car today. Was probably the the the, the better uh, car in Silverstone as well, and it's just about the strategy. And it's just that feeling that, all right, I think Ferrari have the best car. They have a, a driver who's capable of winning the championship in Leclerc. They just mm -hmm. have to get it right. I just don't know if that was my feeling entering these last couple of races and it's my feeling leaving it that like oh I don't have to worry about Verstappen being this boogeyman it's Leclerc Leclerc can win this he absolutely can win this but yeah they, they kind of need a big event and Verstappen I think you know finishing you know fourth or I, I guess the, the incident at Silverstone you know finishing in seventh should have led to 
Ferrari making that big leap and Leclerc taking advantage, but they didn't. And so they need another big event to happen to make up the ground that there currently is in the drivers' championship. It is wild to me, though, that this is the that you can get such a positive takeaway from so much technical dysfunction and strategic uh, mishandling of the situation. And it's this, though, that I know something I didn't know at the beginning of the season about Ferrari and particularly about Charles Leclerc. Dude is tough. Like yep. mentally tough. Now, most of the sport is technical. Most of it is technical. There's a strategic element that's on top of that. And then when you're talking about margins on margins, when you're talking about a sport that comes down to shaving, you know, tiny little bits of a second off the clock, the mental element is there. And the mental element, I think, was something that people might have questioned for Charles Leclerc uh, unfairly or fairly, given his performance both at his home track in Monaco and how disappointed he had been there from time to time and and how he'd performed in other races. This is a young racer. We're not sure. We know Max Verstappen is going to be there. We know Max Verstappen is going to race with three wheels if need be. We know he cannot be broken, all right, Uh, because parts of him may not be human, right? Like his lizard brain is indomitable. Charles Leclerc, I think you've seen that even through all of Ferrari's dysfunction, um, for lack of a better phrase, the dog, it is in him. He has that dog. And got, is a, he has the dog. Yeah, tenacious dude who I think can stand toe-to-toe personality-wise with Verstappen when all other things are equal. Yeah, and today, as his car, it felt like, was starting to break down, you know that Carlos Sainz's engine yeah. going boom was in his head, and yet he mm-hmm. was still able to maintain that composure to get over the line with a fairly sizable lead. And... I feel like you talk about that mental strength and it probably does get tested when your team keeps failing you over and over again. And yet mm-hmm. he kept coming back and, and was competitive in all these races, never really felt like he lost that confidence to keep going. And now here he is back in contention for the driver's championship. I feel like today was a really big moment that he can build on in France. Yeah, to put it in terms I think anyone listening can understand, imagine the stress you feel when the engine light is on in your car. <laughs> or it's making a weird noise. Now imagine that at 195 miles an hour with a Dutch shark man on your tail in a car that's working perfectly fine and does not have the engine light on. That's what he overcame today. I'm impressed by it. Yeah, and we, as you said, while going 195 miles an hour and while you know everyone's watching, the fate of economies are based off of mm-hmm. your success here and being able to just get this car over. Do you keep pushing or do you maybe just pull it back ever so slightly, give up a little bit of ground, and that little bit of ground can be everything? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a lot of decisions to make, and he was probably on that edge for about, what, eight laps to close out the race, and he was still mm-hmm. able to, to finish it out fairly comfortably. Incredibly impressive drive from him today. Held a three-second lead and didn't lose more than, I believe, four-tenths of that on the last three laps combined, especially thanks to the lap traffic of Kevin Magnuson holding him up. Again, shouts out Haas gang, making good things happen all <laughs> over the place. Chris Whittingham, we have brought another DNF across the finish line ourselves. I, again, I think we finished first despite the title of this podcast. Thanks for coming on, man. This was a blast. Thanks, Spencer. All right, y'all. Uh, we will be back for France. Until then, au revoir.